Hey, alright. And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Sen Marimoto. Finally, you know how long I've been waiting to get this guy on the show? My white whale. And let me tell you something. Well worth the wait. Not only is this a great interview to share, but it's coming off of the release of Sen's second and best LP, self-titled double LP that Sen released on October 24th. Much to discuss this week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music. Invite you all to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, a five-star rating would be nice of course you can follow us on bandcamp to assure that you're getting new episodes delivered to your listening device i make note of that this week because we will be taking next week off there's enough noise to go around we're gonna step back while that shit takes its course so we'll be back on the 12th of november with a conversation that i'm so looking forward to and hopefully we'll be returning with somewhat positive results go out and vote do the right thing boot these fuckers out god damn was in chicago today i voted it was quick it was easy on to cheerier topics of course i'm gearing up for rap boys halloween telethon which starts at noon central time on october 31st halloween halloween stream over at twitch.tv slash watchratboys or at watchratboys.com. I will be reading William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, from start to finish. And I'll also be hanging out with the rats during that critical 6 to 6.30 a.m. slot on November 1st. I do appreciate all the messages that I've received on Twitter at BetterYetPod and the emails coming into better yet podcast at gmail.com about the concerns i expressed last week about this flyer and my placement on it so many of you agreed that it should be higher and it made me think that you know what it's probably just a misunderstanding and julia steiner of course a member of the better yet hall of fame so actually i decided uh let's let's give julia a call right now we'll get this all sorted out Funny, this ringtone sounds nothing like a uh, office waiting room phone. Hello? Hey, Julia! Julia Tim! Steiner! What's up? Not too How's much, it? dog. It's Tim Crisp. How are you? Yo, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I am doing great, dude. I'm just uh, recording uh, this week's intro for Better Yet with our guest, Sen Marimoto. Ah, uh, hell yeah. New record. Dude, great new record. Um, obviously, too, I'm looking forward to the telethon that y'all have planned on Halloween. Yeah, man. It's three days away at the time of this recording, and uh, we are just so stoked getting everything prepped for anyone who's, uh, I don't know, watched any of our dumb shows this whole quarantine. We have our friend Dobby who comes on many of our episodes and uh he is pulling out the stops for this telethon. He's basically changing up his costume every hour. So uh if not for that, you know, you'll have lots of fun stuff to tune in and watch if you so choose. 
Dude, that's amazing. I'm personally very excited to watch the entire show over at twitch.tv slash watchratboys. And I think Jay's actually going to be watching it on watchratboys.com. Yes. So yeah, that'll be cool. We wanted to make a landing page for it so that you don't have to download Twitch if you don't want to, uh, because it's kind of a pain in the butt for some people to do that. Although I will recommend if you do get in the app, you can get in the chat and uh, some pretty wild things go down in the chat. So, Oh, I know all about the you. chat. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do, Tim. It's going to be good. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I caught you because, I mean, as excited as I am, I, I guess I'm just a tiny bit concerned with the... Mm flyer that you posted on your twitter at rat boys band and also on your instagram which is also uh rat boys band yeah yeah well we were we were anticipating that you know with 60 bands or whatever we were gonna have some kerfuffle some hurt feelings so we went ahead and went with the old alphabetical approach on the flyer just to avoid any sort of ego battles. Um, and Tim, I hate to tell you, but your name starts with a T. So you were kind of down there. Um, it's just, it's fate. It's the hand you were dealt oh. long ago. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'm not sure who tipped you to the fact that I was a little bit concerned with the, yeah, like you said, my, my placement on here. Um, Cause it, it is pretty far down. I, I guess looking at it now, it is in alphabetical order, though. So that's why you've got me down next to the Baths and VV Lightbody. Speaking of Chicago, yeah, VV Lightbody record. Holy shit! And I, actually, I want to tip off her uh, performance on the stream. She covered a couple Radiohead songs, and it sounds really, really cool. It's extremely vibey, as you would expect from Viv. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I'm telling you, Tim, the undercard, technically, you know, the end of the alphabet there, that chunk does not disappoint. I would say you're in good company. Even though it looks like you're at the bottom, it's just because that's the fucking, you know, the the alphabet we live with every day. And it's okay. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's cool because, I mean, I I do, I did notice that, um, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm over Wild Pink, which is pretty cool, John Ross. Right on the show way back when. I mean, if you look at this flyer too, it's kind of like a a best of better yet, really, because you got you got Stefan from Pup is going to be on here, and you got options. Seth Engel was on the show way back when. Max Stern, of course, but I mean, let's just for I I guess the problem that I'm having with this whole like alphabetical order thing is that you've got adult mom up second. And mm-hmm. that's actually Stevie Knight of Adult Mom. So why why not have better yet podcast host Tim Chris? Because then you know I'd be up there with on the same line as uh, as Bartice Strange, who was just on the show last week, and and Beach Bunny. Haven't had her on yet. That they don't answer my emails, which is cool. Um, <laughs> but you know, I uh, also. I also host, as you were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. You're right. Fuck. See, that's the thing. Yeah, it's a fine line. Like, it's at the end of the day, I was, uh, 
you know, ripping my hair out over some of these decisions. It's, it's tough because as you mentioned, adult mom is sort of the uh, alias of Stevie Knipe, but uh, Stevie is, is commonly known by adult mom. See, yeah, these are, these are very fine lines. You're right. It, it could have gone either way. And uh, was it a, was it a slight against you? No. No, no, it's for the listeners to decide. I don't know. I mean, but I will say, Tim, we are relying on you to carry the 6.30 a.m. hour of this telethon. I think it's hour like 19 or something, hour 20 of the telethon. We are going to be dying and you are going to perk us right up and we're counting on you for that. Well, I, I think that, yeah, you know, it's obvious that the, I believe I'm on at 6am. Yeah, right. You know, I I know that you've got a lot to think about with this whole thing, because you got people like Chris Farron, who are going to be on, uh, and Cool, who, who directed both of the videos from Printer's Devil, your 2020 masterpiece, they did the alien with the sleep mask on video that I was in. And yep. They also did the I Go Out at Night video that I was also in. And yep. like my favorite moment of maybe my entire uh life, uh seeing seeing Chloe in that video and that dedication started to bring down the mood a little bit. No, I mean we actually so the plan for that is uh we did kind of a little like backyard hang with them last week and just kind of recorded us talking around a campfire about how we made that music video that I go at night, I'll go, I go out at night music video. So um, a little like behind the scenes retrospective, because it's actually, I don't know if you remember this, but it was pretty much a year ago that we did that. Um, November 2nd was the night that you came out. You guys came out at like five in the morning. We were really coming through for us in the overnight hours in our history of our relationship. <laughs> yeah, well, what can um, I say? Yeah, truly. So anyways, that's going to be, John just texted me and was like, what's the upper limit on this? Like they're putting a lot of like effort into uh, editing that little featurette. So I'm extremely Mm -hmm. excited to air that during the show. It's going to be cool. That's fantastic. And of course, you know, I I could never, I could never like really position myself in a, in a place where I'm upset with being underneath the bill with people like Illuminati Hotties, Laura Stevenson, the legend, Lucy Dacus, who was just on the show a couple of weeks ago. I mean, clearly you have 25 hours of jam-packed fun and excitement all to benefit the Equal Justice Initiative and Girls Rock Chicago. I mean, exactly. I'm obviously more than anything, just happy to be a part of it. If I could go back yeah, maybe we would talk a little bit about where my name will be placed on this flyer. But what can I say? I'm more than happy to uh, to just put egos aside, and and I'd like to lead the way with that one. I've been hearing a lot of a lot of people here, you know, Ellis and another Michael. They've been kind of you know talking a little smack on uh, the internet. I don't know if you've picked up on that, but you know, I. You're you're right. This is all about having fun and and celebrating Halloween and doing something cool to benefit some organizations that could use our help. And wow, going on watchrapboys.com 
on Halloween starting at 12 p.m. Central Central. Time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then eventually we'll see it's Central Daylight Time at first, but then the reason it's 25 hours is the motherfucking time change happens on us. Are we at, falling uh, back? Yeah, that's why it's 25 hours. So at what would be 2 a.m., we're going to fall back to 1 a.m. again. Uh, so we get a bonus hour there. So then it will become Central Standard Time. And uh, yeah, we're just going to enjoy all of the weird-ass, spooky, uh, you know, vibes that are going to happen on this Halloween. It's going to be a blue moon, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Things are happening. Like, it. that's the ultimate, like, not even irony, but just like the cruel, like, reality of this Halloween is that this would have been a Halloween for the ages. And it still can be, even with COVID, we're just all going to have to be on the internet instead of, you know, in person hanging out. But, uh, you know, we got to, we got to just take the hand we're dealt and do something crazy with it. So that's the goal. And yeah, these Equal Justice Initiative and Girls Rock Chicago were, I don't know, just two organizations that we've been hoping to find a way, any small way to do some good and support them. So uh, it's, we're just stoked to have the opportunity to hang out with anyone and hopefully send them a few bucks along the way. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Julia, you're an inspiration. You're part of the inaugural class of the Better Yet Hall of Fame. And it's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you. I'm honored. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Tim. And yeah, I just want to congratulate you on everything you're doing. It seems like it's going really well so far and can't wait to see it grow. Thanks, Bubba. Hell yeah. I'll see you on Halloween. Sounds good. All right, cool. See you later. Can you believe this? I put her in the Better Yet Hall of Fame, and this is what I get. Twitch.tv slash WatchRatBoys, WatchRatBoys.com. It'll still be a lot of fun, and it's for a good cause. Those facts remain the same. This podcast has a Patreon, Patreon.com slash BetterYetPodcast. The revenue from our Patreon is split equally each month between the show, our guests, and organizations chosen by our guests. If you pledge to our Patreon this week, you will be supporting Better Yet, and you'll be supporting Sen. We're a podcast that pays our guests for their time. You can pledge $3 a month like you're giving us a tip, or you can pledge $10 a month, which will gain you access to exclusive content from me and from our guests this week. I gotta say, I'm pretty stoked about what we've got over there. This is a song that Sen recorded that you cannot hear anywhere other than on our Patreon. It's a song called Rug No Dengen. It's a cover song, a Japanese song from the Kiki's Delivery Service soundtrack by Yumi Matsutoya. You can only hear it on our Patreon, patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. We've got some cool stuff over there too. We've got playlists from Lucy Dacus and Barty Strange. We've also got uh, me and Adult Mom watching an episode of Degrassi together. Namdi gave us an original track. You can hear all of that over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash better yet podcast. Proceeds from that Patreon will go to send. And this week we're sending money to the Prison Neighborhood Arts Education Project. PNAP is a visual arts and education project that connects teaching artists and scholars to incarcerated students at Stateville Maximum Security Prison in Illinois. Happy to be sending 
some money their way this week and happy to bring to you all my conversation with Sen Marimoto. Sen was on our live show back in December performing with Kaina, and I made reference to the fact that I've been trying to get him on for a while, but I think it's a good thing in the end that it took this long for him to come on because his new record is really something special. It's a beautiful self-titled double LP out now on Super Records, a label he co-owns with Namdi and Glenn Curran. There are very, very lush arrangements on this thing featuring some gorgeous vocal layering on Sen's part. He's pushing himself. He fills the space on this so well. And this record has a dreamy quality that really hit home for me in the days leading up to our conversation. And I'm happy to share it now with you. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll talk to you then. For now, here's me and San Marimoto. Just imagine you talking to Namdi and Glenn and then being like, it's got to be a double LP. Like, it's, it's really... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty much how it went. They were like, "You like all the songs that much?" <laughs> um, like, yeah, you know, I I think they all fit together. I really want to try it, but like, it's that's exactly what where that pressure comes from. It's like, uh, you know, I'm asking a company to believe in something that like I have to be confident about, and you know, believe it's going to work. But it's not just like some big label that has infinite bread to just be throwing at artists. You know, it's my friends and their livelihoods, too. So I can't really Mm -hmm. fuck it up. Like if I was on some major label and I was just like, yeah, fuck with it. Like put the money in and see what happens. I would be fucking myself over only, really, because they're not going down. I'm just going to go into debt. In this situation, my friends might, you know, in a couple years be like, man, you really shouldn't have done that. Like... But they're really sweet and they believe in me. And I think because we believe in each other, it ends up working out usually. So fingers crossed. Damn. And you were, so I know you're from Western Mass. I want to get a little bit more on your background here. Um, I know you're from Western Mass, but you're originally from Kyoto. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I was born in Kyoto. My family is from Kyoto, but, um, but yeah, we moved to the States when I was a baby, so more american culturally than i am japanese <laughs> right but i mean you, you retain a lot i'm sure yeah for sure and i've been i'm super close with my japanese family and and we went back a lot as a kid but but uh i do i always feel like i have to make that distinction or or just to be respectful of like artists in japan or stuff or in america that are like japanese immigrants you know as opposed to like dual citizen people but mm-hmm. just out of respect I yeah no i feel that for sure so and and so i look on Bandcamp. it says you're from wendell and then i look up wendell population of 848 yeah maybe tops 
So so how does a how does a family end up from going from Kyoto to J- Japan to Wendell, Massachusetts in Western Mass of all places? Yeah, um, we it's kind of beautiful. I like my my folks are definitely gifted in a sense that they can go with the flow. You know, they're. I think that their whole lives have been really interesting and, and there's pockets of it that like I learn about, I mean, I'm sure everyone can relate to that about just like learning things about your parents way down the line that you're just like, wow, why didn't you tell me? That's so interesting. And it's like, it gives me such a different perspective. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, we lived in Kyoto. They had previously returned to Kyoto from, um, El Paso, I think they were living in the States for a little mm-hmm. bit, moved back to Kyoto. Then I was born and we all came back to the States. Um, I think I may be wrong about this still, but I think we ended up, we were in California and uh, I do know that we ended up living in a Volkswagen bus. My folks got a bus and the five of us. Wow. We're in the VW and then driving across the country, and we ended up in Wendell because uh, my mom was a midwife in El Paso, uh-huh. and some of her friends from that midwifery community were uh, living in Wendell. Um, so she thought, like, you know, we'll stop through there. Those are my good friends. I think they... This is another story I have to dig into, too. Like, they were part of some group of midwives in El Paso that were, I think, fighting for the legalization mm-hmm. of midwifery, mm-hmm. something like along those lines, something like that, um, mm-hmm. And which is so complicated in, in different states, too. I know that, like, in, in mass still, I'm pretty sure you can't be a midwife and a nurse. Um, so my mom ended up going to school there, going to nursing school, became a nurse, um, and we settled down in Wendell, right next door to one of her uh, friends, her midwife friends from back in the day. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's something as random-seeming as that, but then you go Roots, and then... Man, that's, that's wild. So, I mean, even just going from, fuck, VW bus from California... To Western Massachusetts, that in and of itself is a fucking journey. And then, were you, were they, were they kicking it like in the, were y'all kicking it in the bus for a little while before you found a place to live? Yeah, uh, I remember the bus at our first, at our first house. I think that when we got to Wendell, there were friends who put us up, so we were just living in the car for that journey. I think. Yeah. Um, and then um, ended up staying at some friends' houses and then just rented homes eventually once once we got settled. Um, my mom started going to nursing school. My dad started uh, doing shiatsu massage or started his business doing that, you know? Yeah. He told, he told me once that how it started was he would just go to one of the more populated towns because in Wendell, uh-huh. it's not like you just bump into people, but... You could drive like thirty minutes somewhere, and and there's more 
you know, active towns in Western Mass, and he would just sit outside mm -hmm. eating ice cream, giving out free massages, and being like, I'm starting a business. Come through. <laughs> and That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's, like, yeah, extremely gifted at what he does. And, and eventually it became, yeah, like, so busy. He, up until COVID started, he was, you know, doing every day, booked up for months, you know, super busy guy. Yeah. And now that, you know, you can't touch anyone or be around people, he's basically retired, which I think he's actually pretty happy about. I don't think he would have stopped working unless he was forced to. And now yeah. he's realizing that it's pretty good. That's great. Like, settling into it. Now, I don't, I don't want to... Um, I feel like there's no way for me to, like, ask this question without going off of, like a certain stereotype for what I have as my understanding of shiatsu massage, but you got to be a pretty centered person in order to do that, right? There's a lot of, like, uh, you know, balance and, and, and spiritual centeredness to that for sure. craft, right? Yeah, totally. And, I mean, I think that people that don't necessarily have that or something can, like, learn the physical you know practices of shiatsu but it definitely i think for as with anything really same with music it's like if you don't have that feeling in your soul and it's not like what you're supposed to be doing it's not really gonna connect like that even you know interviewing i feel that way about like interviewers too like you are like you know i'm trying to think of someone that i think is really good at interviewing people like people say like david letterman or something you're just like he's good at that he's coming from the heart with it or whatever you know yeah, um, yeah, he's okay. He's okay. I. <laughs> what do I know about interviewers? I, he's a famous one. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what you know. Nothing. You know nothing. nothing you know about. nothing about right, this no. game. <laughs> no, Dave's good. He's an old friend. I like. <laughs> I actually, I really like the interviews that he's doing on Netflix now. Those oh, are right. like longer form conversations. Yeah. And he's he's given a little bit more of himself. That's good. which I appreciate. That's good. He's got that like long beard sort of just like what the fuck is going on now everybody <laughs> he's and confused like yeah yeah <laughs> who's like the best interviewer on late night tv on late night tv yeah um oh i don't know um i guess i probably would say letterman was the best one that i ever watched he was good i mean you know sometimes i just liked when people got uncomfortable with him, that was nice. He would ask a question I wouldn't think you could. I mean, you know, it's not like Fallon. It's just like making people feel good. Yeah. I mean, no problem with that either. It's a different art. <laughs> Thank you for not setting the Jimmy <laughs> Fallon constituents that are out there. So, so are, you, are you the youngest then? I am, yeah. You've got, I got two older siblings. You've got youngest energy. Oh, yeah. Why? Are they, spoiled? Are they significantly <laughs> older than you? Yeah, my uh, my brother's nine years older than me. My sister's seven years older than me. Yeah, how are they? I know your brother did uh, a music video for you. Yeah, we've we've always collaborated on stuff. Like um, he started getting into making short films in college when I was pretty young. So um, that's actually how we ended up making the video for Jupiter which we just put out because he um he's been making short films forever and I was always just like the one who was at home 
with nothing to do. So I was in a mm -hmm. lot of his videos growing up. And so um, when we started thinking about something we could work on online because we couldn't see each other. I mean, he lives in Japan, so even normally it's pretty tough to get to see each other, but especially now with, you know, travel bans. Mm -hmm. um, we were thinking about how we could make something together, and he was talking about how, like, he has all this footage of me since I was, you know, 8, 10, 14, it, like, all the way up, yeah. because it, we did it pretty consistently until I was a teenager. Um, up until, you know, last year when I was touring in Japan and he was on tour with us filming everything it's like he and he is not he's like he makes short films but he's also kind of just naturally for his own enjoyment a documentarian just like in the sense that he films everything everywhere he goes he's always got his camera mm -hmm. um so he was able to just kind of pull together these um sequences and it's really interesting how they like matched up with things he had filmed me doing years later or stuff that just you know transitions that were really interesting and then we kind of threw this funny green screen thing over the top of it and then just put it out <laughs> i love that i love that you're just like you're his subject because he's i'm sure he's just like figuring it out as he goes and you're like yeah i'm down because i mean you're you're a little kid you see a camera come out right it's just like here i am right right <laughs> exactly it's like you know it was fun. I mean, like, even me and my neighbors used to make, like, uh, little Lego movies and stuff like that. That kind of stuff was always fun to me, just, like, yeah, effects or, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, totally. So is your is your brother back in, in Kyoto then? Yeah, yeah. He moved back to Kyoto um, a little while after he finished college. He lived in New York for a little, and then he, and then he bounced I've been, I was in, uh, I was in Kyoto, maybe like four years ago, right around the time I started this podcast, actually. Yeah, right before 2016, I, I went to, my friends were on tour there, and I had friends that were living out there, too, so I kind of jumped on their tour for a few days. Cool. And then went down from Tokyo to Kyoto, um, Okayama, a couple places like that. Beautiful. Yeah freaking beautiful yeah I went to the um what was the shrine i went to mount inari i-n-a-r-i is that the one? Oh yeah with the arches the big yeah hike, the big hike yeah mm -hmm. that was beautiful um so so you're so you're the youngest growing up when did you start playing saxophone i was 10 um yeah. Was fourth, that your first instrument? Fourth grade. That was my first instrument. Uh, I mean, I always liked singing when I was, like, super little. But, uh -huh. yeah, I didn't really play music or think of performing music till. I mean, even... I started playing sax when I was 10, but I didn't really think about doing... I think I did, like, a talent show maybe when I was, like, 12. And I was like, uh -huh. oh, you do this for people to see. So it's the you don't performance just do it thing. I yeah. would say, yeah, I would say those are two probably separate discoveries. Like, in figuring out that I could play saxophone, really it was because my first teacher was, you know, the music teacher at the tiny school right outside Wendell. Again, like, mm -hmm. you know, Wendell's got a tiny population. It was Wendell and the town right next to Wendell, New Salem, that uh, had kids going to Swift River School, it was called. 
um, which was a great, super fun school. And but you know the class sizes were like twelve kids or something like that. You know, uh-huh. it was awesome. But so yeah, get to skip math class to go do uh, saxophone lessons, which I thought was really sweet. And <laughs> initially that was the only thing really. And then but then uh, the teacher, you know, instead of showing me how to like read music or stuff like that, although I think he probably tried a little bit, he he started um, showing me how to improvise, and that was really oh. I think what got me hooked on 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 making music was that like you could make it yourself you didn't just have to play you know i didn't even i don't think i had ever even considered that idea that you could make your own music or even the fact that you could make your own music up on the spot uh was Mm -hmm. super thrilling to me so i remember he showed me the blues scale and he was just playing a c blues on the piano and i was just like messing around playing the notes he was like, "That's really good, you know." And then he called in the, uh, he called in the custodian. He was like, "Listen to this kid, man. Listen to this kid." I just, he was like, "I just showed him the blues scale. Check this kid out." And then I <laughs> ripped a solo. I think that was probably. I was like, "Oh wow, like you can, you can put so much of yourself into it, even if like it doesn't even. I mean, like to think you could get to that feeling." having uh-huh. just picked the instrument up I, I think I was like oh cool I can see myself doing this like yeah feels good so is that how I I guess like that leads you into jazz like pretty logically right yeah for sure I think he that I think my teacher Brian Bender was well, he was like a jazz trombone player primarily and so I think he mm-hmm. was excited that I was excited about improvisation. And so it just, you know, directed me that way. I had, like, a couple mentors later on for saxophone who were like, oh, my God, like, you never learned your fundamental classical training. Like, you know, mm-hmm. super salty about it. But um, but I am super appreciative that he, he took the time to, like, figure out what I was interested in. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I had a similar experience of, like, playing trumpet in third grade mostly to get out of like (laughs) french class or whatever um and it didn't take long for that to become just as bad as going to french class so it's like yeah i would forget my trumpet at home most of the time after you know a few months of doing it because it's just like yeah skills that's boring but yeah um and then you you started taking that shit pretty seriously too right were you playing like in jazz bands yeah i mean there weren't jazz bands in the in the towns i grew up in you know it was really like uh uh wendell has some really sweet musical projects like but there there's only a few because there's only a few people you know there's Mm -hmm. a couple great like reggae bands there's a there's some folk music and stuff, but there wasn't really like you couldn't go jam with some people or or anything like that. And um, and I was going to school right next door, so it's not like I was seeing kids from larger towns that were part of that kind of thing. But um, I definitely yeah. So for a lot of the early years of learning saxophone, it was just practicing by myself. Play along CDs, huge at the time. Mm-hmm. That was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just pop a CD in for hours, just 
shred the same songs um yeah <laughs> for nobody you know it's just not it's not a show it's just like you're not practicing to show anybody just practicing to get better at it um mm-hmm. but i did take it pretty seriously and then um and then once i got a little older it's like an early teenager maybe 13 or so it's the first time i started going to like a jazz summer camp because uh, they offered it at the local college um about like 30 minutes away Mm -hmm. um and that was like super serious i was like very intimidated there but i think it helped me grow a lot but it's cool they had a lot of cool instructors old jazz guys and old jazz guys and jazz ladies they would always be like i remember nothing like old jazz people no for real they're the Uh best they're all like i remember i was sitting next to charlie parker and he was (laughs) all doped up asking me how to whatever you know on his horn and then you know i'm like yo like i'm like 13 i have no idea what you're talking about what's dope i don't get it i don't get it (laughs) see you see you're playing you're playing jazz saxophone um what what about other music in your in your world where when did you get into hip-hop when did uh Mm. you know yeah. non-jazz music come in the yeah the cocoon opened when i uh-huh. was uh i don't know actually it was it was a little at a time it was definitely i was totally just into jazz and i kind of felt like saxophone and jazz were like their own world and then uh all i would listen to was yeah like 60s jazz like Coltrane, Cannibal Adderley, Miles Davis, you know, mm. Bill, Bill Evans and stuff. That was all I would listen to as a kid for, like, the study of music, mainly, I feel like. And then, yeah. just for enjoyment, though, Dude, still... those Cannonball Adder- Adderley records, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're correct. When, he, when he's fronting that he, band, when Miles is in the back, in the back. <laughs> I know, I know. Shit is Dude. where it's at. Cannonball Adderley rips. And it's crazy yeah. because on all those records, when you watch, like... I've been recently revisiting that stuff because as a kid, like, I loved listening to the albums, but I would just pop the CD and then, like, zone out and listen to it. Whereas once I got to jazz camp, everyone was like, oh, you know, like, who's playing on all these records, you know? And I I wasn't looking at the sleeve, mm-hmm. so I was just like, no, I just know the band rips, you know? I could tell some <laughs> albums sounded like other albums. I'd be like, it's, that makes sense. Those are the same guys. But, uh, yeah. so I'm revisiting all this stuff and, 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 you know, watching interviews and stuff. And I love watching these Cannonball Adderley interviews where he's on TV and they're like, your record's astounding. Like the band is just like taking music further into the, you know, whatever, the unknown mm-hmm. of music and all this stuff. And he just goes every time he's like, well, we just wanted to try something really simple because that's what makes money. <laughs> every time (laughs) he's like every time he's like my advice to young musicians is just like keep it simple that's all they can handle (laughs) fucking right (laughs) i was like still valid today to this day as good advice (laughs) dude totally and then you listen to like kind of blue and it's like that shit is very simple very simple yeah straightforward and that's why you know everybody knows it Mm mm-hmm Watch that, um, you ever watch that Bill Evans documentary? I think it's on, like, Amazon at this point. Um, no. Streaming. Dude, it. it's, it sucks. Well, not, it's, it's, it's a Is good it documentary. Bleak? It's pretty bleak. It's really bleak, yeah, man. He I... just got, 
sucked up. It's a bummer. Yeah, a lot of those guys. It's so, so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Great records. Great records. The, 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 music, the music lives, lives on. on. <laughs> so brutal. Yeah. Mm. No, but so. So I, uh, I gotta. So I, I'm just wondering because you're you're. Uh, you're 14 years old. You're playing uh, jazz saxophone. Your social life must have been. Uh... <laughs> he said social life, and I spit out my tea. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, you know, I had growing up. I had luckily a few neighbors who were the same age as me. We would, mm-hmm. um, you know, none of no, none of them really played music. Um, we played Dungeons and Dragons every once in a while. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, we ha- we played like. Did you ever have boffers as a kid? Boffing sticks. It's like a. It's a sword made of foam. It's a PVC pipe. Actually, oh, it's okay, pretty brutal. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Naturally, you play Dungeons and Dragons, and you're like, the only thing that would be better than this is if we actually had the swords. So you mm. you go to Home Depot, or you ask your parents to go to Home Depot with you, and they get you some PVC pipe. And then you wrap it with some foam and you just whack each other with it. It still hurts like hell, but it's like there's foam on it, so it's maybe okay. Everyone goes right. home with bruises. And, um, but no, I mean, like social life. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, yeah. But I mean, that's that's good for being out in the middle of nowhere. I felt pretty lucky to have people my age. I know that that's like a, depends on the generation in Wendell. There's some some years where there's not like any kids you know there's only yeah. a few kids <laughs> mm-hmm. um so i felt super lucky yeah i grew up in a small town too and like we had a we had a good cul-de-sac right um and i bet like a few years later there were the the crew was gone totally not much has changed there actually like i think we were like the last generation of kids yeah everybody else is like still like all the families are still there totally um but yeah, so so when you're in high school, um, and you're growing up too in like that region of colleges are are everywhere. Was that kind of your way out? Yeah, for sure. Once I mean, once I could drive, really, I spent a lot of time away from home. Mainly, I, I think I I just wanted to like experience more things. So. Um, my grandfather passed and he drove this old white Cadillac that nobody was going to take. So I snatched it up (laughs) and, um, yeah, as you know, as I, but I mean, even before then, I guess I started going to a, um, uh, a public charter school after elementary school. It's like a middle school, high school that Mm -hmm. offered, Music classes basically was the big draw. Um, although I think when I was really heading there, I um, I kind of wanted to do theater too, but it didn't end up happening. There's an alternate universe where I'm like a theater kid, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> um, but no, I got there and and had some really great music teachers. Um, and basically, the music program there was just like learn uh, music to play in a band it wasn't like jazz band or like learn fundamentals or anything like that it was just like what uh i mean i was gonna say like it's like what 
what do you want to play kids? But it was more like, what does the teacher mm-hmm. think is cool music for the kids to learn? And so the teacher would be yeah. like, you guys need to learn, you know, how to play this Van Morrison song, this uh, Ray Charles song, or, you know, ma- mainly through pretty much middle school, high school, it was a lot of um, 60s, 70s, R&B and yeah. soul and rock music was what we mm-hmm. were learning a lot in school. So that's where I learned a lot how to do just horn arrangements, basically, because all those songs have the most incredible, you know, like these big Joe Cocker style bands with the horn yeah. section or, or Sly Stone and, and stuff like that with these super tight horn harmonies. That's uh, what I was doing a lot there. And along the way, that's how I learned different instruments, too, because we just were around instruments at school. So I could learn how to play piano or, uh, uh, you know, play around with the drum set there. Um, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, once, but then when I got a little older and I could drive, I started just, um, you know, I met, if, I, I guess hip hop was really introduced. Yeah. After the rock and the soul and stuff. Although <laughs> I keep going back. It's so funny. Like great good content good content a lot of that mm. stuff that kind of old soul music i was into because uh my dad had a big cd collection he's always loved cds because mm-hmm. um, he loved records too because of the artwork but i think it's just the convenience of cds and the sound quality made sense mm-hmm. to him he can't get behind mp3 or streaming really doesn't uh, He's not down with it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what? what? Where's the information? What do I look at? You know? Um, <laughs> I like your dad. Oh, he's a cool dude. But so through him, I basically just listened to, yeah, like 60s, 70s music mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then luckily... I mean, you mentioned Sly. Oh, yeah. Like, Sly Stone's was... huge influence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of influences from Sly's music in my in a lot of my music and um i learned a lot about horn arrangement through that and just groove and stuff even lyrically mm. yeah incredible music dude he's on a he's on another plane he he left he left shortly after yeah it's which is unfortunate because i think i think stand is one of the fucking best records ever made yeah um, I'm sorry. I like Stan, but there's a riot going on. It's the one that I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing, man, you listen to that, and there's just a universe going on in there. Oh, yeah. Especially the way the tape sounds, too. So good. It's... You know what he would do? He would record shit over and over again on the tape. That's why that record sounds so wild, is because he would just erase stuff from the tape, and it would just get worn down rather than doing second takes that's incredible it sounds yeah. incredible yeah and it's like the the chord progressions on that album and stuff yeah that's totally mm-hmm. yeah monumental for me for sure that one and and um and fresh um mm-hmm. yeah huge records for me growing up and then i got a little older and um was able to meet kids from other towns and um they got me into hip-hop and we would just uh meet up and like make beats or you know rap in someone's basement or whatever and you know that was i feel like that was when i got to do some like teenage stuff which i felt like growing like until that point it was pretty like you go to school and you come home there's not much else 
Right. Did you go to college? No, no. I um though it is Yeah, it is you've true. been seven years in Chicago. You've you went out pretty young. Yeah, I came out right? here when I was twenty, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, why Chicago? I was dating someone who was going to SAIC. Um, we mm-hmm. went to high school together, and after school, I just I lived on a farm with some friends. We made music, um, and then um, yeah, she was home for a while, and we started seeing each other. And then she moved to Chicago to go to school, and I was going to move to New York just to, I don't even know, play saxophone on the street or something, you know? Uh-huh. And she was like, no, you should just come to Chicago. And, you know, friends in my family just kind of go with, with whatever <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up in Chicago, didn't know anybody except for her, um, met my roommates who became my closest friends. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I don't know, I worked in restaurants forever, made music in my room, pretty much until... A couple of years ago, that was the grind. You said you were out in a barn making music. Yeah, we lived, lived on, on a farm. Yeah, we lived on a farm in in Hadley, Mass, which is uh, about thirty minutes from where I grew up. And it's a big farm town. It's between two college towns, so they have a lot of you know. Uh-huh. They have more venues and young people and stuff. But in between the two, on the mm-hmm. highway, there's this little farm town called Hadley. And we, um, me and some friends just recorded music in this house next to the owners of the farm, who are our landlords. Um, they owned a petting zoo down the street. So we lived next to a giant barn full of like rotating animals, you know, they had yeah. donkeys and peacocks and pigs and, uh, you know, <laughs> llamas and stuff. Or whatever. That's a fucking trip. Then were you playing like shows at the colleges? Like yeah, yeah, that was definitely once we got a little older. That was the grind for a little while. Was college shows? Um, I mean, at first, even then, there was no, there was no money. But we were playing, yeah, college shows, house shows a lot. Really, we started playing a lot in towns in or houses in the farm town because there weren't neighbors there. The houses were more far apart, so you could throw a show in someone's basement. You know. Um, so yeah, we started, you know, it was a classic, it's funny, it is just like a DIY scene naturally, Mm -hmm. um, as anywhere else, you know, we found someone's basement, we gave it a weird name, and then people started playing shows (laughs) in it, and, you know, and it grew from there. Um, so, so, where's all that music? Is that all online? Is any of that online? I went mm -hmm. to the SoundCloud Oldest thing was four years. There's a Casey Jones cover, which I was like, "Fucking tight, dude." Yeah, We're, I think our our me and my old friends back home. It was like rare music. We were trying to make rare music like that. Casey Jones uh-huh. cover is like the strangest <laughs> idea. It was always just like, "What's the weirdest idea you could come up with?" But, but uh, no, I mean, I think some of that stuff's probably around on YouTube and stuff. I I. At the time, I mean, up until pretty recently, I always just took stuff off the internet after a while because, I don't know, I wanted to, it, it just felt like it was haunting me or something, you know? It's like, the mix is so you bad You and Namdi. Here. Yeah, you know? You and Namdi that, make when perfect I, sense. When I met Namdi, I was like, this guy is, 
this is my hero. I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly where he's coming from. <laughs> you and you'd heard his music before. Yeah, when I met him, I I had recently moved here, and uh, at the time, my just someone I one of the first people I met here was showing me music from Chicago. He was like, "Oh, you got to check out this guy Namdi. He's like outrageously yeah. talented. He makes the most bonkers music." And <laughs> the quote I think was, "And it's just unfair. He's so nice." <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's another skill of his, as if, you know, he was like, and it's just, he's so fucking nice, it's unfair. And so he showed me the video for um, Vasectomy, which Namdi made, yeah. in which, uh, you know... I love Namdi's videos oh, yeah. so much. It's one of those old animated animated ones of his that was yeah. just, like, super freaky. A song about, I don't even know going back in time and giving his dad a vasectomy so he's never born and and all these Troy McClure Simpsons references and stuff and I was like this is the guy I fucking this so yeah I listened to that and 2% chest over and over again then finally bumped into him at a show of mine he was coming to see someone else but that's how we met you were wearing something this just popped into my head but you were wearing something of significance he saw me wearing a Jeff Gordon shirt <laughs> <laughs> I wore my big steez to the big show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was a cool shirt. I think I loaned it to someone, and they, they never gave it back. But Jeff Gordon... It belongs in a museum. Exactly. Put it in belongs the super... Belongs in the super office. <laughs> super office. Exactly. The first dollar exactly. on the Jeff Gordon yeah. shirt. Yeah, we have yet to make our first dollar, but the Jeff Gordon shirt goes up. <laughs> Um, so it, it, you started playing in, in his live band. I think that was the first time that I saw you, um, was playing with Namdi. And then I remember you, you, you had a verse and Timmy Ramirez from, uh, from kickstand, um, was like this dude, this dude Sen. And I was like, I was like, all right. All right, cool. And then Cannonball, I don't think Cannonball was out yet, but it probably came out shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And I listened to that record, and that record was like, yo, the next one is going to be <laughs> the yeah. one. Because that's, that's good. Did you call it Cannonball because of Cannonball? No, but I, uh, you know, it's a term I like because of him, for sure. But no, I didn't yeah. call it that because because of Cannonball Adderley. I did feel like it was uh, my first... You know, I've been making music and putting it on the internet forever, but it did feel significantly different to, you know, plan this record and put it out with Super, so it felt like it was my first kind of dive into that world of, you know, taking music that seriously and, mm-hmm. and really, uh, you know, putting it forth with my own name and stuff, so... Cannonball felt like the appropriate splash, you know. Yeah. Um there's really good material on that record, but it's almost got that like, you know, people talk about you got your whole life to make your first record. That's a good and a bad thing. Mm. Cuz I feel like there was some stuff that was in there that was like it's got to it's got to be out. It's mm. got to come out cuz I mean, especially by the end, because 
that last track, People Watching. Oh, yeah. That's the That's fucking the song on that record. That's the one, yeah. It's good to have at least, I mean, <laughs> it's like my initial reaction to, to knowing that that's the song was like, damn, like, you know, you get a little salty that it's just one song. But actual, in actuality, it's like so, so lucky that, lucky or something, that mm-hmm. even one song on an album is good. There's a lot of trash going out in the world. <laughs> And I think, and I, and I totally know what you mean. Like it it is such a first album, which is funny. Like even as I was saying, I had been putting out music already for so long, but like, it is such a first album. You can tell it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm trying a lot of different things. I don't really know where I'm headed and, um, some things land and some things don't, but, uh, I have love for it in context now with a little perspective and hindsight. (laughs) Dude, absolutely. I feel like the the vibe is like is there. It's not it's like it's like you need to start from square one, but from where you're at, you're you're ready. Totally, yeah. It was definitely I think I learned so much making that record and then listening to that record and then touring that record was actually really really something new to me because like performing a one body of work over and over again taught me so much about what my voice actually sounds like when I'm not like quietly humming in my room so that my roommates aren't <laughs> upset that I'm making music, you know? Uh-huh. I was like, oh, you can actually like sing loud or even just in an appropriate volume and your voice sounds different. Yeah, I feel like that's something, that's one of the things that I wrote down for this one is how much you're pushing your voice. Like, you've got that, you've got that soft-spokenness, like, down. That's, that's you, but, you know, you can't, you can't hit a note like, uh, breathe the way you do on woof without fucking belting it to get there. Yeah, I, you know... Um, a big part of that too, honestly, I'd like to say I just overcame the self-consciousness of just recording at home, but I actually then eventually moved into my own apartment for the first time and I could just record music all the time with nobody to bother. And it was hugely beneficial to me learning how my voice actually works. And, um, yeah. And yeah, that's so, that's like the instrument on the album is the voice, you know? So I feel like, yeah, I definitely worked on highlighting that and practicing that a lot for this record, which is not something that exists on Cannonball at all, because on Cannonball, I'm, like, basically whispering the whole time. Right, and I feel like that's a good, you know, your flow, I feel like, is very much based in, in the whisper. Like, you have such great cadence that's on that lowdown, but the fact that you said that your voice is the instrument on the record. One of the things that I wrote down, one of the things that's been pointed out too in, in reviews is like, there's saxophone here, but it's not, it's not the instrument. Look at him, yeah. look at him smile. Oh, I'm, I'm cracking up because, no, it's so, it's actually so satisfying to hear that because I, I you know, released Cannonball and it it was like, I remember I had this discussion with Nomni and Glenn like soon after because it was like jazz rap. This guy does jazz rap, and and mm-hmm. uh, Nomni and Glenn were always like 
yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's any jazz on that record. They were like, and Omni was like, I don't, I don't hear it. I can't say that I hear it. There is a saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of a saxophone. And so, you know, and then touring the record was like a lot. And even just like promoting the record imagery and all this stuff, it's a lot of saxophone. And it's like, I don't know. Don't want to be the sax guy. I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, totally totally right. right and so at a certain point i remember talking to a lot of people being like i think i'm gonna put the saxophone down for a little bit it's like becoming a little bit too much of a bit <laughs> yeah i feel like namdi is the perfect person to talk to about that too because he has been dealing with the oh namdi he's wacky oh yeah forever <laughs> right yeah and you listen so, to Brat, and it's such a like serious and concise and and beautifully constructed album. It's like mm-hmm. wacky Chicago and Namdi. <laughs> it's like yeah, I guess yeah. So, <laughs> so what was the? Um, you know, I feel like you, your songs are always so interesting because it's it's so many things happening at once, and I don't know if the saxophone was like the like initial foundation piece for a lot of your work prior but did that change as you're like all right it can't be something differently or were was the voice kind of the building block for things um yeah i think it definitely was the was the voice i mean stripping things away was definitely a part of it um i think Something my friend told me was like, "Yeah, you're not a you're not a minimalist." <laughs> I showed my friend the record early. I was like, "What do you think?" And uh, he was like, "Yeah, you're not. Our guy is not a minimalist." I think is what he said. <laughs> um, which is you know something I can't really help. But but um, even but yeah, even in the construction of the songs, I. It's not often. I think on the songs that have saxophone, sometimes it is the building block that starts it. But, but mm-hmm. uh, this record mostly was written on like keys or or guitar and, and voice, initially. Those keyboard tones too are just like so fucking warm. What are you using? I honestly, it's a lot of MIDI. Uh, but I well, yeah, I, a lot of it. A lot of it is this Nord I bought when I was um, when I was like 17. I joined this indie band, and I was like, "I'm gonna be in an indie band. I'm gonna write some songs." And um, and it's and we really wanted to sound like uh, to sound like Wilco, I think mainly, mm-hmm. or like yeah, Radiohead, Wilco, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I found a Nord on Craigslist for cheap. And the only thing was I had a few busted keys, and that's still the keyboard I play to this day. Um, most of the record, if it's organ or Whirly or Rhodes, it's the Nord. A lot of the synth sounds are just MIDI, um, uh, and I and I just spend a lot of time mixing. Really, is the main thing. Yeah, because this is this is one of those records that I was very happy to purchase. On Bandcamp. I'm always happy to purchase records on Bandcamp. Shout out um, Bandcamp. So I was like, I listened to it, and I was like, oh, fuck. This is a, this is a 
.wav wave files record. <laughs> I got a, I got a fucking half gigabyte. <laughs> and it's it's such a funny. I feel like it it almost is in opposition to just like your your delivery is so like low key. Everything is so low key, but fucking there's 19 vocal harmonies going <laughs> there's just like so many different keys happening um tell me a bit about the vocal arrangements because those things are dense and you talked about working with your voice too mm-hmm. um those harmonies were so not present before this yeah um i think that it's something I've always been fascinated by, like, something I really enjoy about, you know, Beach Boys music or Carpenters music, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, um, mm-hmm. these dense harmonies that are mixed really well, I think, is a really is a really big thing for me. Like, or even, like, uh, someone more contemporary, like Jacob Collier or something like that, is, like, mm-hmm. what I appreciate about his music is, is the way that he mixes those vocals you can hear all the tension and release happening in them um but for for the vocal arrangements on the record a a lot of it is i mean actually this is true about pretty much all the instrumentation on it is is that it's recorded as it's written so it's mostly just me hitting record trying something doesn't work map it out on the keys a little bit figure out what what the harmony shift has to be um and record it um so i'm definitely not like a visual uh you know arranger like that yeah and then just pull in the janitor and be like yeah, check this out Yo, check this shit out dude <laughs> yeah exactly improvised um, you ever listen to the you ever listen to the fucking bgs oh yeah whole oh, my dad's sh- a huge bgs fan so you know, that was a lot of the CDs in the car, in the car rides. You had to drive 30, 45 minutes anywhere from Wendell to get groceries, to get anything. Right, right. So it's a lot of CD time. And a lot of that was BGs for sure. Um, Especially like that pre disco shit oh, yeah. when they were just a folk band. Oh my God. Uh, that yeah. was a late revelation. Even though, man, I got told, I got told plenty of times. Listen to the Bee Gees. No, come on. Come on. Come no, on. They're right. Dad. Right. They're right. Uh, yeah, they have a old one of their old folk, more folky songs. They have a song called Massachusetts, and my dad's always like, "I'm pretty sure I ended up here because of that." Because he he was a Bee Gees yeah. fan in Japan, um, you know, before he even came to the states. But yeah, that stuff is great. I mean, even once they got in the disco era, they were they were churning out bangers they had a uh shit what's the song they wrote there's a song they wrote for otis redding originally and then otis redding passed so they made it themselves oh, shit yeah that's um man that's music now that i'm thinking about it now that i live in a house what do i got i got nothing to worry about someone listen someone hears me listen to Bee Gees really loud oh but, yeah no shame that Carpenter's thing, too. The fact that you pointed out that it's mixed so well mm. clicks into my head. Because I found myself 
not too long ago, just like listening through the best of the carpenters. And I'm like, what is it about this? Because it feels like it's a little sentimental. It's a little bit too much, but man, like those records sound so soft. Oh yeah. The keys sound just fucking unbelievable. The production is outrageous. Yeah. They were, yeah. And the choices, the melodic choices, the harmony choices in those like massive stacks of like 40 voices, you know, Mm -hmm. sound incredible. And it's like pretty hard to do that in the mix. And I mean, not just get a, a big puddle of voices, you know, you can hear everything. It's pretty sweet. So, um, you got, there's, there's a real, there's a dreamy quality to this record. You just talked about like going on tour a lot. Um, I feel like this, this, the songs on here, it's like, if it's not dreaming while you're asleep, it's kind of daydreaming. Mm -hmm. And the one line that like really stood out to me, it's, it's life. It isn't real. It isn't fake. And I latched onto that one pretty hard for the past few days. Um, yeah, you mind telling me like a little bit more into just like, I feel like you got that tone set pretty early. Yeah. Um, I mean, Throughout the album, there's a lot of a lot of dream stuff, a lot of reference to kind of a questioning of reality and stuff. And I'm not one of these guys that thinks that like we're in a necessarily in a sim- simulation or that it's a it's a you know one big dream or something like that. But um, I was experiencing on tour uh, something I've always felt even since I was young, is that when I sleep in places that are unfamiliar to me, I have really vivid dreams um, that are yeah. often really hard to wake from. Um, just like if I'm on a friend's couch or, you know, even in a different room in the house or something, you know, since I was a kid. So being on tour, it's like you sleep somewhere different every night. And um, and then you're in a new place and your reality is different and you just have a task and you get it done and then you do it again. And that kind of, doing that constantly, um, I was, yeah, experiencing dreams that felt very vivid, super hyper real, and almost just like completely mundane, you know, like Uh living a day in a dream, just getting, getting coffee, reading a book, you know, whatever, like things that were just completely meaningless. And, um... Sometimes they were really nice, you know, if I was super stressed in my in my waking life about something, then sometimes they'd wake up and just be like, wow, that felt so weird to like live a different day in a world where these stresses don't exist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I just kept feeling like that was such a dangerous, it felt like when you're thinking about something you know you shouldn't be thinking about too hard, you know, like... Because yeah. you might convince yourself of some horrible conspiracy theory that will just make you a crazy person forever or something. You might just crack open the egg, you know? Um, yeah. And, but it's hard because, like, you know, again, I couldn't control that as I was in a new place every day and, and having these dreams that you couldn't, I couldn't stop having and, and then waking up and being like, oh, but, like, I was, like, somewhat attached to that day I just had asleep, you know? 
Yeah, that vividness, right? Yeah, totally. Um, but that's the, I mean, so that's just something that was on my mind a lot while I was writing it, and and um, you know how interesting that is to just live in your own world there, which is like super not healthy to be attached to. Um, but then it's funny for it to not even be like a, a fantasy world or something. It's just like you do your day there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the lyrics on um, Nothing Isn't Very Cool that you're referencing are um, more uh, mantras for that last section of that verse is more things that I try to remind myself of. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, it's it's life, it isn't real, it isn't fake is like uh, just a reminder to myself to not be... Um, not be overthinking something like that or or um or yeah disrupting my perception of reality with like some half-baked situation something like that you know right Uh, just to like uh it's life and life only it's life and life only yeah acceptance Mm -hmm. and i mean and that's a common theme on the album too is is um i like to call it surrender is like when you just let everything be what it is and not try to shift it for your own understanding of it or your own, you know, peace of mind about something. Um, but yeah, that whole section is just, the lyrics are just reminders to myself, you know, it's, um, forgiveness for another, we're the same or, or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, they love you in a way, their own way. It's just like reminders to myself to not make issues that involve other people or the world at large about my own feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, can be especially tough too, especially when you're thinking of the. I, I'm just still thinking about the those dreams that you wake up from because I, I do the same thing when I'm sleeping. Somewhere that's not my own place. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a common thing. Um, you ever read Carl Jung? No, no. He's cool, man. He's cool. He's a, he's a psychologist, um, was a contemporary of Freud, and then he sort of broke off from Freud. But he had this project called uh, The Red Book, where he was putting himself into, like, somnambulant states for years like that's that space between being asleep and awake and he was just like recording everything that he saw and fucking wild yeah um apparently dreams are meaningful according to him that's what i've learned um but I think, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I had this conversation. It's funny is that I, I brought this up only once really to, uh, to Michael who plays bass with us on the road. We were driving from Toronto to Montreal, just me and him. And I was talking about these dreams I was having. I was like, I just feel like crazy today because I woke up and I thought I was like someone else in a different place. And I woke up and I'm me, you know? And I was like, do you think it's, it's, uh, wrong to like invest emotionally in that in that world you know and he Uh, was and he was like what's the difference (laughs) basically yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, but so I think they're meaningful for sure. I just I do believe that for the most part, you know, dreams just being like a kind of echo chamber of things in your own mind that it is probably more meaningful to snap out of it and interact with other people a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the reality that you don't have control over is is more meaningful. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, with young, like, I'm sure you've heard the term, like, collective unconscious. Mm. That's that's his. And it kind of comes from that spot of he's he's seeing these symbols in his dreams, and he's like, all right, well, how do I? How do we all know that like a lion represents all of this shit? So his theory was like, the collective unconscious is where we all kind of gain that pool from, whether we know it or not. And yeah, there's that. Yeah, I feel like I go into into. Uh, I enter dreams sometimes and feel like it's all familiar, mm-hmm. like it's all part of the same. Mm-hmm. Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, on butterflies, though, you say, "I always leave before the fall." What's what's that? Butterflies is a song uh, Kaina and I wrote together, and we it was a period after Cannonball, maybe before. We, before we did next to the sun where we would just go um on like a trip on a sunday just go see a temple or something and then and then go write mm-hmm. a song about whatever we experienced that day um and i think it was one of those exercises kind of but i don't know why we were thinking about butterflies but we were talking about um just a song from that perspective because they kind of uh the, the the terminology you would use to have a butterfly leaving at a certain time is so kind of like emotionally relevant to how humans come in and out of each other's lives mm-hmm. um and like what motivates that you know and so for a butterfly it's just the 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 fall time you know a monarch butterfly leaves and um and returns when it's warm again or whatever you know or or the cycle starts over but um, the fall meaning having multiple meanings, you know, is so fascinating yeah. to write as a, as a human, you know? And then, I mean, the whole, the whole project with that song, I think really was that kind of like uh double entendre thing about the butterfly leaves before the fall. Um, a person leaves before the, when a person leaves before the, you know, uh, the crumble i don't know what do you call that the 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 yeah. explode the, the the problem when you someone bails mm-hmm. on you you know right right when you needed them most um and you just don't know why you can never ask and it's this kind of uh sad void where there could just be a conversation um and then also butterflies being the feeling in your stomach when you know you feel something for another person so I think we were just very interested in, in in the word play for that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have always thought that that song felt like a kind of uh, like an admit, admittance of 
fear, kind of, you know. I always leave before shit gets too real. And don't ask me mm-hmm. about it, because then I'd have to tell you the thing that I haven't told anybody, you know. That's kind of the... Yeah. I feel like there's something that you're kind of addressing a lot on this record is is feeling like you're like you're distant from others but i feel like there's a lot of embrace in in relationships that are it's almost like a like a verbal commitment that you're offering mhm mhm yeah i think um i have always felt very uh self isolated not anyone's doing but my own really and yeah um just in a sense that i am uh for a lot of my life felt like an observer of things happening or felt a little outside of something you know and you get older and see the perspective that or why why that perspective took shape you know being Mm-hmm. in a tiny town or you know not really having a social life until you're older being from a different place as other kids and these things that kind of other you to to people and mm-hmm. um and in a lot of cases it's something that could have been overcome or 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 are just entirely due to my own like you create that problem in your own mind a lot of times you know yeah and so i think for a lot of my life that that was a a habit of mine to kind of separate myself from other people in my own mind which is probably you know tied to a lot of things just kind of fear or ego or you know stuff like that um and you know that's just the shit i think about i'm always trying to figure out what my what my cycles are what my habits are and and what i'm i'm trying to shift because ultimately like i my goal is not like to have some kind of success in in some job or makes some amount of money or anything it's really just to like be at peace in my mind with the way that I'm living and the mm-hmm. people around me and to know that I'm sticking by them and are therefore the people that I care about and I'm doing the best by me and my family you know um so like that's a constant uh conversation I have with myself in my mind and that's why a lot of the music end, ends up being about that, which is so funny. You know, I, I listen to other albums that come out like around the same time mm. or just like throughout the year. And, and I'm like, damn, this shit just bops. Like, I love these songs. And I'm like, they're just about like love, normal things. I'm like, why don't I make songs about shit like that? That shit's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that's you. I think that I this think is me. very very much you and I, I think one of the things that like really just knocks me over about this record son is that you're you're honest with yourself throughout it um but you're you're never hard on yourself even when you're even when you're saying things that are um you know negatives that you're that you're perceiving as as negatives about yourself there's no like self-flagellation there. Yeah. I find that very empowering. Hell yeah. That's a really good note. I haven't I haven't really thought about that in in the music, but it's definitely a huge 
uh, step I've taken just in my mental health in the past couple of years, which is, you know, of course, when I was making this album, so that makes sense. But just finding, you know, how difficult it was for me to give myself the same amount of just love, patience, forgiveness, space to be a human being and learn from things and better myself, um, you know, was huge for me because I was a pretty self-deprecating person. I mean, I still am to a degree, you know, I definitely, you don't just like make sure. it disappear, sure, but but I'm definitely learning how to curb it and to use it productively as opposed to just beating beating on myself <laughs> you know but uh yeah that's good i definitely feel like that was a huge step for me it feels like that's becoming an adult or something just like treating myself how i treat other people too yeah i you say you say i'm cold <laughs> or people say i'm cold on this and this I think I was pretty knocked over by how warm this record is. So keep doing what you're doing, I'm my learning friend. Something. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Thank you. Marimoto Sen. Bandcamp.com is where people can listen to this record and pay for it. Get that wave file. Tell Get the you wave. what, it's juicy. <laughs> we did it right this time. God damn. Um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. And for that Patreon, each week we we add some exclusive content that comes courtesy of our guests. And if you pledge to our Patreon, uh, you are helping support the show and you're also supporting the guests and organizations chosen by the guests uh, so we split that money evenly each week. So we're paying Sen for his time. Um, and you can go to patreon.com slash podcast to pledge either $3, just like you're leaving us a tip, or if you pledge $10 a month, get that exclusive content, that shit that's only available on our Patreon. Nice. And this week, Sen is giving us... What, what what do you got? What do you got? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a bonus track, something that you can't get anywhere else. Um, I'm gonna look through a couple things, find something exciting, uh, maybe a good cover or or just something I'm working on, maybe. Um, yeah, that won't be available Hell anywhere yeah. else. Go grab it on the Patreon. Um, the <sighs> org um, submitting for this week uh, is the Prison and Neighborhood Arts Project which is an organization that Tasha put me onto after our whole situation with the Millennium Park show and the mayor, um, which is a great org. We ended up donating our uh, funds from Bandcamp Day that week to them, um, who uh, work on getting stories, voices, and uh, art from incarcerated peoples in prison out to the world. It's really awesome. Check out their website. P-NAP. Dot org. Dot org. Um, this is awesome. Um, thank you for bringing it to us this week. Patreon.com slash Better Yet Podcast. Send some money to the Prison Neighborhood Arts Project. Send some money to Sen. 
send some money to this podcast. Sen, thanks so much for joining us this week. And, dude, this record, uh, I have to say, during a, a week that is getting progressively colder and has not shown a lot of sun <laughs> to uh, to me out here in a town where I don't know anybody, uh, except for... Except Except for my wife and my dogs. Um, You're out in your own Wendell. (laughs) Your own private Wendell. Um, This is is far and away uh, your best work and really, really brought a lot of warmth to to my world. So thank you for it. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's like always a pleasure to discuss with you a great mind and such a warm heart. So I really appreciate you having me on here. Um, we're taking next week off. Uh, go out and vote, do the right thing, and we'll talk to you soon.